If, uh, if you're here, you're in junior high, you can head out with uh, Sarah to your uh, class right now. So Sarah was the one playing the drum up here, so wave at her and you can head over. We're not going to think about the fact that she's leaving us in a few weeks to go back to school, so we'll just uh, we'll deal with that later. Denial is the best way to handle those kind of things. I was, uh, I was talking to Pastor Tony this week, and uh, some of you may know that his wife Catherine uh, grew up in South Africa, her parents are South African, and they were telling them this story about um, a woman uh, that they knew who, was, um, who used to swim in this bay called, was it Betty's Bay, is that Close, yeah. Okay, Fishhook Bay? Okay, and it was a part of her daily routine that she would go and, and do kind of her swimming exercises there. And it was a very comfortable place for her, something she was very uh, acquainted with. Uh, and there was one day when she went for a swim and there were people up on the cliff and they could see what she couldn't see and that there was a great white in the water with her. And they were waving at her to try to get her attention, but she was totally clueless. It was something she had done all the time and, and, and it got her. Um, and, and I think when I was thinking about that story, the idea of, of that danger, the reason it was so dangerous was she didn't see it coming. And the reason she didn't see it coming was she uh, didn't think that she was in danger. She was doing something that was very familiar to her, very comfortable to her. And it's the deadliest kind of danger, isn't it? The one we don't see coming because we don't actually think that we're in danger at all. It's a regular part of our life. It's something that has become a comfort zone for us. Now, in our, our, our journey through the story of Scripture, we are uh, working through one of the biographies of Jesus Christ, and we're calling this part of our story the rescue. And the reason we're calling it the rescue is it, it wouldn't make sense to have a chapter in a book called The Rescue unless something had happened prior to that chapter that put the protagonists in need of rescue. And that's truly what we find is that the story of scripture, the story of God is not just uh, something about history or it's not just something about a religious tale of a few people, but it is, it is our story. And that as God brought human beings into the world, the beginning of the story is very hopeful and it's full of joy and expectation and goodness that God put human beings in the center of a beautiful world that he made. And he put them there to enjoy relationship with him and relationship with each other and relationship with the earth and our jobs and everything. What we find is as you continue to read the story that sin came into the world. And the heart of sin was not just uh, maybe what we think it is in terms of breaking a a few rules or that uh, we ate meat on Friday or whatever that is. But that sin at its heart was saying to God, God, even though you created us, even though you made this world, even though you put us in the center, we don't actually trust you. We, we think we need to do life our own way. And so sin is essentially giving the stiff arm to God and say, thanks, but no thanks. I think I'm going to trust myself. And as human beings did that, we read that story. What happened was is that everything in the created order got, um, be, began to be fragmented, that things began to blow apart, the things that were the way they were supposed to be, between us and God, between us and each other, between us and the world began to fragment. And if you read the pages of scripture, the Old Testament, essentially what that shows you is just how deep and pervasive the fragmentation went. It affected every part of life because sin wasn't just about following rules. Sin was about a distrust of an order that was meant to be trusted. It was about distrust of a God who was loving and trustworthy. And so therefore, if God was at the center of all that he made and we began to distrust him, it meant that everything that he made was gonna be fragmented. And so as we come to this point in the story, the rescue, what we realize is that the rescue that Jesus brings to us is not um, a new order, it's not a new set of rules, it's not a religious um, uh, 
set of principles or practices. It's not even propositional truth, but that the rescue is a person. God come into the fragmented world and beginning to rescue it from the inside out. And one of the implications of that rescue is if sin was so pervasive and so deep, then therefore the rescue has to be equally deep and pervasive. Which means that as we read the biography of Jesus, one of the things you will see is that, and that we're exploring is all of the ways that Jesus rescues us. That his rescue of us is, is physical, it is psychological, it is emotional, it is relational, it is vocational. It touches every part of our lives. And for those of you here that are maybe exploring the faith and trying to figure out what does it mean to actually be a Christian, one of the things that you should realize and see week after week as we go through the biography of Jesus is, whoa, this touches everything. This isn't just about the religious bucket in my life, some spiritual beliefs. This is about life. And for those of you that call yourselves Christians, which means you are a follower of that Jesus, that we are also meant to see, wow, this means that this changes everything in my life. He speaks into every aspect of who I am, psychologically, emotionally, relationally, physically, vocationally. What it also means is that if he is our rescuer, there will be times in our lives when he is rescuing us from things that we didn't know we were in danger of. If you're like me, you're probably able to list, maybe, maybe quietly, you wouldn't want to do it publicly, things in your life that you probably know you need rescuing from. Okay, you, I probably don't have to say that. You probably know. And, and if, if you don't, but you're married, you have a sharp pain in your side right now because someone next to you knows what those areas are for you. Uh, so if you don't know, just ask them. Um, th so there's things in your life that you know you need rescuing from. Or there's things in your life you know, yeah, this is kind of a danger area for me. You probably see the great white in the water. But there are other things that are deadlier, which are the things that we don't even see, the comfort zones. And if Jesus is going to be our rescuer, it means at times he is going to say, hey, watch out. And we're going to go, what? This? I do this all the time. But honey, I'm fine. Should the kids really be doing that? Oh, they're fine. Don't worry. No danger here. If Jesus is going to rescue us, it means there are times he's going to poke and his initial um, interaction with us is going to raise, uh, it's going to say, hey, watch out. And our reaction might be, really? That? This is one of those passages today where Jesus is doing a watch out. He's raising the awareness of someone in the, he's having a conversation with, which is also raising an awareness for us to say, hey, you may not think this is dangerous for you, but watch out. Because if he's going to be our rescuer, that's also the role he's going to have in our lives. And so we're going to read this passage today. It's from Luke chapter 12, uh, 13 to 31. I'm just going to read the first two verses first. You can follow along on the screen if you want. I'm reading from the NIV. So Jesus is teaching someone in the crowd, just a group, there's a bunch of people sitting around listening to him. Someone in the crowd says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this guy's having a fight with his brother. He figures, hey, Jesus does everything. Maybe he can sort of arbitrate. For me, I'm getting cheated out of some money. Jesus replied, man... Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? So in other words, it's not my problem with you and your brother. But then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So this guy's bringing up this issue, wants Jesus to deal with his money stuff, and Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your money or with your brother. But now that you're speaking about money, watch out, because 
there is greed of all kinds. He's saying, he's pointing at something, saying, watch out for this. There's greed of all kinds around you. Man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. While we're talking about money, let me warn you about something. Greed is everywhere. And this is interesting because this is, I think, certainly for me, and at least some of the stuff that I've read, a problem that nobody thinks they have. I asked my dad, he's been in pastoral ministry for almost 40 years. I said, has anyone ever, and, and he has met with hundreds of people during that time. Has anyone ever walked into your office, sat down, looked you in the eye, and said, I'm struggling with greed? He said, no, not in 40 years. Tim Keller, I heard him preach a sermon on this a couple years ago, and he says, Jesus says, watch out. It's one of those things that you kind of have to watch out for, maybe unlike other things, like we don't all of a sudden wake up next to some, oh, you're not my husband, how did you get here? You know, we don't have to watch out for adultery the same way we gotta watch out for greed, why? Because we don't see it coming. And Jesus says it's, it comes from all directions. Watch out for all kinds of greed. See, greed, a greedy person is a caricature in our mind, isn't it? Scrooge McDuck. We, that's what we think a, a greedy person is swimming in their, in their coins, in their money. I'm dating myself, some of you. We, we think a greedy person is a, you know, a Wall Street broker who's you know, upset because they only got a $3 million bonus, the guy next to them got 10, and they're both mad because the tax system is gonna cheat them out of half of that. And so we caricature that and say, that's what greed is. But the truth is, none of us think that we have it. We could see it in somebody else's, but nobody thinks they have it. I was reading online, shocking deathbed confessions. Okay, on their deathbed, people confessing to shocking things. Murder's there, adultery's there, stealing is there. Nobody on their last breath grabs someone by the collar and says, I just need to tell you something. I've been a greedy person my whole life. Nobody thinks they have it. And yet Jesus says, watch out, you might have it. What is greed? Greed is wanting more than you need, right? You can see this if, if you have kids or you've been around kids and you, you put, put a bunch of candy in the middle of the table or chips or whatever, and they each have bowls. What are they doing? Like, just like as much as they can get. They're not thinking about, hmm, I have a little bit of hunger here. I got some meal later on. Like I might just, I'm just gonna watch myself and whatever. Like, and, and what do you say if you're around them or you're somehow responsible for what they're doing? Hey, hey you don't need that much, right? You're, you, what do you, what, you're saying you're wanting more than you actually, don't need that pile. They're not thinking about other people. They're just thinking, hey, I gotta get as much as I can. It's greed in a very simple form, but as we grow older as adults, the principle remains the same. Greed is wanting more than we need. And if that's the definition, then you realize there's no dollar value attached to greed. Greed doesn't have a threshold. It's not like, okay, as soon as you start making $100,000 a year or a million dollars a year, well, that's when greed kicks. If you want more than that, you're greedy. But underneath that line, if you want more, well, that's just reasonable because everyone needs enough. There was a survey done years ago where they asked people, how much more money do you think you need to be okay? And they surveyed anybody who was making between $20,000 a year and $200,000 a year. And the average answer was double. The average answer which meant there's no dollar value attached to this. It's a mentality of saying, I just need a bit more. But the truth is Jesus is saying, watch out because you could actually be wanting more than you need. And so here's the thing, the working hypothesis for all of us, myself included, 
See, lucky me, I had to wrestle with this for several days. Now, I'm just dropping it on you right now. If I'm going to preach on this, I got to. So it's been going around in my head, but let's, let's just say this. The working hypothesis is I could be in danger. So let's just say that out loud. I could be in danger. Now, you're good Canadians, so you just, you just did it because I told you to. <laughs> but you're also Canadian, so you're skeptical. You're like, no, I'm not. Some of you don't believe that, that you're in danger, which is fine. I, I get that. And, and I wonder if this guy in the crowd was looking at Jesus like that when he said, watch out for all kinds of greed. And he's like, what are you talking about? I just wanted you to sort out the inheritance with my brother. And maybe he gave Jesus this kind of odd face, like, and maybe you're kind of like that. Well, I don't know if this is a problem for me. And this is how, so Jesus said, okay, fine. I'm going to tell you a story just to illustrate what I mean. And he goes on, Luke 12. He told them this parable, this is a story, to illustrate a point. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here tomorrow and today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus tells this story to illustrate this issue of greed. He brings up the issue of possessions and says, you got to watch out because this could be a problem for every one of you. And to illustrate, he tells a story. And he actually tells the story of two people. I, I didn't call them, we'll call them Rich the Fool and Getting By Guy. Okay? Rich the Fool and Getting By Guy. Rich the Fool has, hits it big. His crops come up. He makes a lot of money on it. And uh, he, he thinks, okay, well, what am I going to do? I got, he's got, as we would say, first world problems, right? Rich people problems. Oh no, what am I going to do with all my money? All this stuff that I have. Rich the Fool is trying to think about what he's going to do. And so his solution is, well, I got to create more. I got to, you know, I got to figure out how to stockpile what I have so I can um, store up for the future. That's, that's Rich the Fool. But the other guy is getting by guy. Now, he's not named that in the passage. But Jesus turns to his disciples. Now, his disciples were getting by guy. Okay, these guys were, some of them were fishermen before living off whatever the, 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 the sea would produce for them. It was an up and down existence. But all of them had left their jobs. 
And so now they're following Jesus. So they literally did not know where their next meal was coming from. They didn't know what was going to happen if the clothes they were wearing were going to wear out. And so this is opposite, because they may be going, oh yeah, nice problem. Like, why are you telling us the story about Rich the Fool? It'd be nice to have his problems. And he turns to his disciples and says, okay, so don't worry. You guys are also um, susceptible to greed. Both of them were. Whether Rich the Fool or getting by guys. See, Rich the Fool, we look at and say, okay, he's the archetype for greed. But what would, he wanted more than he needed. He didn't need all that stuff. And his thought wasn't, wow, why do I have all this extra stuff? His thought was, I better hang on to this. It was greed. We can see it looks obvious. But getting by a guy, he also was in danger of greed. Why? Because greed is getting more than you need. And here's the thing. If you have gotten by up to today, you had what you need. What getting by a guy is concerned about is tomorrow. How do I know if tomorrow I have enough? How do I know if the future is going to be kind to me? How do I know I'm going to make it? Yes, I've made it this far. But the mentality is the same. Getting by a guy wants to know he's going to have more than he needs because what he had up today was enough. That's how he got there. He was talking to people who had made it so far. They were worried about the future. Both Rich the Fool and Getting by a Guy in danger of wanting and obsessing about more than what they needed. And because they were struggling with greed, they were also susceptible to worry. See, we, we think that Rich the Fool would struggle with greed and Getting by a Guy would struggle with worry. But both of them, because they were thinking about having more than what they needed, both of them we're going to be struggling with worry. And the word, the Greek word here that Jesus says, do not worry, is actually not, we think about worry as in sort of anxious hand-wringing and in fear about the future. And that is one aspect of worry. But the Greek word here actually it talks about a mental attention or a drivenness and a focus on something. Which means to worry about possessions, whether we have a lot or a little, is worry. To be Focused, to have focused thinking, excessive thinking, planning, striving, scheming, which includes fearful worry, is all a part of what worry is. And if wherever you are in the spectrum, whether rich the fool or getting by guy, because they were both concerned and in danger of wanting more than they needed, they were both susceptible to worry. And this is true, actually, we can see that in our own lives. There's a spectrum here. Some of us, we might look at, like, generally speaking, none of us use the word rich to describe ourselves, right? Because richness is a, is a caricature. Like I said, just like greed is. It's like someone who has tons and tons of money. But we would say, well, I don't have tons and tons of money. So I'm, I don't, I'm not rich. But as one person said, if you're, if you're standing in line with a phone that you have to trade in to get another phone that you have, you're rich. I don't need to bore you with all the statistics that you've heard that about how we live in the, you know, a little fraction of the world and we are near the top of the food chain in terms of wealth and what we live on a day versus what the rest of the world lives on. Regardless of whether we think ourselves, we're rich. And here's how this looks like. What was the rich man's problem? What am I going to do with all my stuff? Have you ever said this? Ah, oh, we don't have enough place, no enough room in our house to store stuff. I, we'd say that. Oh, like, what are we going to do with, like, we're running out of storage space. What is that? What am I going to do with all my stuff? I don't have enough counter space. What is that? I don't have enough place to cut my food that I have so much of. Oh, the fridge is so disorganized. Stuff's everywhere. We have so much stuff in our fridge. We don't know what to do with it. 
right? We look at Rich the Fool and go, you're a fool. Like, what? as if, nice problems to have. And yet, many respects, right? If we've ever said, oh, like, it's so hard when we go camping or biking on vacation because we can't fit everything into our car. You said car, vacation, bike. <laughs> you're rich by the world standards. Many of us actually, though we don't want to think about it, are in Rich the Fool's camp. Our problems... Okay, and so the things we worry about or are thinking about, planning about, scheming about, striving about are about our stuff. It's not stuff that we need. We might say, and we use the word need to interact. Oh, I just need a vacation. Oh, I need a week off. Oh, I need some downtime. Oh, I just need to go out for a good meal. I just need a bit of a bigger car. The one I have is, I just need a bigger, bigger house or I just need to get out of this apartment and get into a house. But that's not actually a need. It's, we're in danger of actually wanting more than what we actually need. Many of us don't see ourselves in that place, and yet many of us are. We are like Rich the Fool going, what am I going to do with all my stuff? I need a break from my stuff. I need more room for my stuff. Some of us might say, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm getting by guy. I don't actually know if I'm going to have enough money next month to make the rent. I don't actually know if I'm going to get that job that I need. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging by a thread. Yeah, I've gotten here, but just barely, and I really am concerned about tomorrow or about next month. And the question is the same, but it is a conscious focus on more than we need because whatever you need, you're here today. If you didn't have what you needed today, you would not be here whether you, wherever you are in the spectrum of rich the fool and getting by guy, all of us are in danger because of the stuff and the culture we live in and where we are of having a focus on more than what we need, which means we are susceptible to worry, which is focused thinking on stuff. Whether it's the stuff we don't have or the things we want to get, that's what worry looks like in our lives. Just because you're not anxiously wringing your hands about the future doesn't mean you're not worrying about your stuff. And in fact, what you will note is the more stuff you have, the more worry comes into your life, right? If you don't have a cell phone, you don't have to spend two hours with Rogers on the phone arguing about your bill, <laughs> right? If you don't have a cell phone, you don't have to worry that you lost all your contacts because the, that it's sinking, blah, blah, blah. You don't have that concern. And the very, some very few of you are in that place that you have resisted. And you look at all the rest of us going, why do you even have that thing? If you get a car, a better car than the one you have, now you are panicked that your kids won't like put their boots on the back of the thing. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just saying I've heard that people get upset with that stuff. Before you didn't care who, who you parked next to in the parking lot, but now suddenly you're the one who's wanting to park on an angle or look at that door and that guy's gonna, you know, like, cause now you're that car. Before you, you were the car, you didn't care. Someone was worrying about you opening your door. When you get stuff, Stuff comes with it. Worry comes with it. Anxious, focused thinking. Now think about how much of your life, just think about it, even this week, is, revolves around our stuff. Things you're planning to do, things you were wanting to do but are changed, things you're hoping to get to, things that 
happened but broke and fell apart. So much of our lives on the phone, in our conversation, where does your mind go to when you're bored with your work? Remember we said the other day, statistics, 50% of our time at work is daydreaming. What do you daydream about? What do you start going on the computer and doodling about? What is, it, is that the next vacation you're adding up some math about what you're saving? It has nothing to do with your, whether you're a spender or a saver. Spenders and savers can both be equally obsessed with the stuff and the worry that comes with it. Now, what's interesting about both these guys is Jesus tells this story. He uses two words that look like sort of Bible words, but they're actually really critical to the story. He calls the rich man a fool, and then when he's talking to getting by a guy, he uses the word pagan. Now, the word fool and the word pagan in the Bible mean the same thing. A fool or a pagan was someone who ignored or didn't believe in or lived as if God didn't exist. That was a pagan. A pagan was someone who didn't believe in God. A fool was someone who lived their lives without taking God into account. And Jesus is saying, hey, rich the fool and getting by guy are both in danger of greed and they're in danger of living as if God didn't exist. In fact, Jesus says to, the, so the, the fool, it's interesting, right? The first line of the story of rich the fool said what? The ground of a certain rich man produced crops. Oh, how did that happen? Who gave him the crops? The ground of a certain rich, and the rich man didn't go, God, why did you do this for me? How, how come my, how come this year? How come me and not the guy down the street? He never once stopped to go, why do I have all this stuff? He didn't ask God, hey, what do you want? You, you clearly controlled where this came from. Why did you give all this to me? And in fact, now, what do you want me to do with it? Rich the fool was a fool, because he didn't take God into account. At no point did he stop and say, why do I have all this stuff? And what do you want me to do with it? But getting by God, Jesus says, don't be like the pagans who run after all these things. What was he saying? Don't be like someone who, regardless of what you say you believe, spends your whole life chasing all the stuff that you don't have. He said the pagans do that. The people who don't believe in God live with worry in their lives. And so the question for us is, does your life and my life at the level of greed, worry, possession stuff look any different than our neighbor who doesn't believe in God, our family member who doesn't believe in God, our colleague who doesn't believe in God? Or at the end of the day, would someone just look at the decisions we make with our money and our stuff in our life and go, yeah, it pretty much looks like everybody else. Regardless of what we say we believe, Jesus was pointing out both people have the tendency or the potential or the danger to live as if God didn't exist. And for, for, for Rich the Fool and people who have Rich the Fool's problems, that means never asking, God, why do I have so much stuff? And Andy Stanley pointed out years ago when we went through the Law series that what we are generally reminded of in this culture is what we don't have. Right? We're, we're always reminded of what we don't have. That's what advertisers are constantly doing hoping to hit the thing that you don't have. You go to another country, and this is why, this is why for some people it's, it's worth the 2,500 bucks you spend or raise to go to Guinea because you will be in an environment where you are aware now of what you do have. But generally speaking, we're aware of what we don't have. And so we are kind of like Rich the Fool in many cases. And if we have that problem, the question is, do we stop and say, actually, wait a second, why do I have so much? 
why did God bless me with so much? And God, what do you want me to do with it? That, that's what a person who is not foolish but rich asks. A person who's getting by a guy, not rich but wise, Jesus says, wait a second. Just look around at creation. God faithfully clothes the grass and the flowers which we are so desperately waiting to see this year. But he does, you know it's coming, right? It's coming and it'll be beautiful in a few months. And he faithfully does it season after season after season. He provides for all the animals. You believe in this God. Why are you running around as if he doesn't exist? Worrying, wringing your hands, so concerned with tomorrow when you believe in the God that provides every day for everyone. Both rich the fool, getting by guy, in danger of living as if God doesn't exist. And so what was Jesus' solution for them? What did he propose? He said, don't worry. But he didn't do what we expect sort of religion to tell us to do. Don't be greedy, don't worry. Just don't do the thing you're, you're doing, <laughs> right? That's sometimes what we tell ourselves. Oh, I just need to stop doing that. Well, if you could stop doing it, you would have stopped by now. What does Jesus say? No, seek the kingdom first. Seek the kingdom. What, what does that mean? He was talking about a, a, a principle that someone a phrase that someone had coined, which says this, it, it's the expulsive power of the greater affection. The expulsive power of the greater affection. Let me illustrate what this looks like. How did you get over your first crush in grade school or high school? The next crush, <laughs> right? <laughs> the next girl, the next guy was so much better. Now you're just... Whatever heartbreak you had, it's gone, right? The, the, the greater affection has expelled, has pushed out any other lesser affections you have. This is the key, Jesus says. It's not about, hey, don't be greedy. Hey, don't do this. It says, let me put in front of you an affection that is greater, that will over time push out these other things that you are so obsessed with. Instead of just saying, stop thinking, stop thinking, stop thinking about your stuff, stop striving for more stuff, stop worrying about what you don't have. He says, fix your mind on the kingdom. And what is the kingdom? The kingdom is the realm of God. You know, we think heaven is this place that is future and up there. But Jesus actually says, it's a reality that is here that you cannot see, but is more real than the reality you can see. That is the kingdom of God. It is the place where values are different. It is a place where your heart's affections, the more you love something, the more glorious you become, right? Whenever we love something and obsess about something that is not worth our love, it diminishes us, doesn't it? Right, when we are obsessed with something that isn't worth all of our energy, we become diminished. And you can see that in the extreme cases of greed. What happens, I was reading an article this week of a guy who was a Wall Street broker and had made tons and tons of money. And he talked about the relationship he was in at the time when he hit the curve of his money. And the girl he was with just said, yeah, I don't like who you've become. And he said, years later, I finally can say I didn't like who I had become. And it's a caricature of greed. He was honest enough to write the story in the New York Times, bless his heart. But we can see that, right? How if you take it to the extreme, 
We don't like who we become. If we worship things that are not worth our affection, that we take something that's good and make it ultimate, we diminish ourselves. And so the kingdom is the place of where we can throw ourselves fully into something that will never diminish us. It will never disappoint us. It will never fade. That's the kingdom. Jesus says, seek that first and all the other stuff that you are looking for will be added to you as well. It's not about what you're worrying about and thinking about. It's what you're doing first. It's not about whether you have tons like the rich man or just getting by. It's not holy to be poor and evil to be rich. It's not about that. It's about your heart and what do you think of first. To seek the kingdom for the rich man is to say, God, why do I have so much and what do you want me to do with it? To seek the kingdom for the person getting by and say, God, I don't want to be so worried about what I'm going to do next when there are so many other things that you want to thrill me with. The kingdom is the place where God is able to delight us and where we begin to value things that we didn't value before. The more we are concerned with stuff, we are less concerned with people and we have less time for people. In the kingdom of God, as God redirects our heart, as he is a God of love, what happens is no matter what's going on with our stuff, we love people more. We are more concerned with what's going on with people, with our relationship. The things we hold up as the highest value are our relationships in our lives, which often are the things that get sacrificed when we are pursuing stuff. When we are too worried and anxious about tomorrow, we could care less about what's going on in our neighbor's life. We think, I can't. I don't understand what's going on in my life. I'm too stressed. I have too much to worry about. If we're scheming and planning and thinking about whatever is going to come next because we have so much, we're not worried so much about what's happening around people. We're not thinking, wait a second, have I been given so much that I can bless this other person? It's the thing that saves us and rescues us from greed. It's not not greed. It's the kingdom. The expulsive power of the greater affection. Jesus says, take the kingdom into your life more. Make this more of your value. Start to build your life, no matter what kind of house you live in or car you drive or whatever. Build your life around the kingdom. Make it first, whether you have a lot or a little. And all these other things will then what? Take their rightful place because what's first is best. So how do we, how do, we do that? What does that mean to seek the kingdom? I want you to maybe fall, and maybe one of these things is something you want to do as a little bit of homework today, depending on where you are in that spectrum. Some of us, maybe all of us, this is actually just a good thing to do no matter what, is to sit down at some point this week and list all the things you have been blessed with. Just, just write it out. And money, and maybe you feel like, I don't have anything now, but you need to go back and think about all of the times that God provided for you, where the ground grew up where the ground just produced stuff and you didn't plan it. You didn't know where it was coming from. You need to go and list back and remember how faithful God has been to you in providing for you all those times. Maybe you need to look at some of you, maybe you don't have a lot of money right now, but you have a lot of time because you don't have a lot of stuff, so your life isn't really taken up with a lot of that. Or perhaps you're working part-time or you're, um, you don't have a job or necessarily you have to be at every day. Maybe you, or maybe you suddenly, maybe if your kids are just moving out of the house, you suddenly have a lot more time than you had before. Think about that. List those blessings. Think about the possessions, the stuff you do have, or the talents that God has given you. List those blessings and say, hey, this, this is all riches that I have. And then ask him, 
God, how can these be used to bless others? What, what, why, have you, why have you given me this, all this? What do you want me to do with it? That's the conversation to have. Secondly, what future plans, pursuits, and goals occupy your time? I already asked you about that. What do you daydream about? What do you go on the computer about? What are you kind of always talking about? Ask a close friend or a spouse. If you're not sure, they'll tell you what you're always talking about. Don't be a fool and live as if God doesn't exist with your dreams and your plans. Ask him to direct them. God, this is what I want. Okay, let me just be upfront. This is what I want. Direct this in the right way. Or redirect it. If this is a misplaced affection, if this is something that in, in the end is going to dimin- diminish my soul because I'm going to get so taken up in something that isn't worth what I have to give, then redirect it. Whatever my plans and dreams are, I'm not going to live as if you don't exist. I want to invite you into my dreaming and scheming and planning and daydreaming. Thirdly, what future concerns, worries, and felt needs are making you anxious? What are you wringing your hands about? Worried about? You feel it. That's that conversation that whenever it comes up, you get into a fight with your spouse or your parents about. It's that thing that, you know, as soon as it comes up or you see it in someone else's life, starts to create the sort of angst in your stomach. What is that? What's the thing that you're losing sleep over? Ask God to give you peace and to redirect the energy that you are spending on that to other people. Because Jesus says, God already knows you need the thing you are desperate for. And if you don't need it, but you're still desperate for it, if he's really loving, he won't give it to you. He will redirect So Jesus says, yeah, okay, you need food, shelter, clothing. Your heavenly father knows you need it. Don't be like the pagan running after all this stuff when God knows you need it. So you park it and say, God, you know that I need this. So can you give me some peace so I can invest in kingdom stuff until that comes around? That's a heart, a life, whether we have plenty or just enough to get here today, that we would trust God and say, Okay, I'm not going to live as if you don't exist, and I'm going to put the kingdom in the center. I'm going to invite the worship team up who's going to lead us in response. Tony's going to lead us as we take communion together. And as I was thinking about what communion symbolizes, it is the, the death of Jesus, his life in us. And this verse came to mind, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He was rich. He had everything. We had everything he needed. He became poor and emptied himself of all that he was entitled to so that we could be rich. He came down to lift us up. And the riches that you and I have, which is the reason all of us who are in Christ can say, I am rich is because of the grace that we were given. Nobody could have pulled us out of the pit. And nobody is sitting here, even if you're like me this week, realizing, man, I'm obsessing about things that are so temporal that it's not a guilt that you are being put on today as you recognize, but you have grace. If you recognize, yeah, I'm struggling with greed, I'm struggling with worry, Jesus says, great, I have grace for you. 
I don't have guilt and punishment for you. I have grace for you. That means I'm rich. That even when I acknowledge of who I am, I have the riches of Jesus, his grace to say, okay, that's for me. I receive your forgiveness. Now give me your peace. Help me to put first things first. That's what makes us rich. So Tony's gonna lead us, and as you participate in communion this morning, know that that is your Lord. This is the one who has made you rich by what he has done.